Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning friends and saunterers. Um, Good to be back. We're sauntering again and We're in Genesis chapter 28 today, so let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love you and we need you. And so we welcome you now to be with us as we open this incredible story and speak to our hearts and change us and shift us in our thinking where we need to change. And Lord, fill our lives, fill our homes, fill our places of work with your glorious presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Super duper. So Genesis chapter 28 today. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Fliss. And we have the story of Isaac again unfolding a bit more. I'm sorry, Jacob, a bit more unfolding. And you remember at the end of the last chapter, Rebecca was saying to Isaac, look, these Canaanite Hittite women are driving me mad. They make me really pained. Uh, I just can't bear the thought of Jacob marrying one of them. Buenas dias, Flor. Good morning, Fran and Mary. Uh, so she says, we're going to need to send him away. What's, you know, how can this be good if, if he marries one of these? Obviously, his brother um, Esau had married two, uh, just to be on the safe side. And uh, that had pained mum and dad's heart. So then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So that would be marrying your cousin, wouldn't it? Which is, yeah, it's kind of a bit close for comfort, but back in the day... This was all considered okay. And take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother, God Almighty, that's El Shaddai, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Jacob's and Esau's mother. So this is a, a interesting kind of section, really, because it seems that Isaac, having initially been very much pro Esau and trying to get the blessing 
to circumvent God's plan and come in line with what he preferred and Esau would become the child of promise and the one who inherited all the blessings. Isaac has maybe grudgingly, maybe he's just come cheerfully round to the idea finally that actually it is Jacob who is going to carry on this line of promise to the Messiah and to be the one the promises of Abraham are fulfilled, you know, come continue to channel into. And so he now is overtly stating this instead of it being like reluctantly and as a result of being deceived into blessing Jacob, he's now overtly giving Jacob his blessing and he's saying, go on, son, you have a destiny. I know that. We need to get behind that. And please, please don't marry one of these Canaanite girls. Go down to your kinsman, your mother's family and get yourself a bride from there. And now it's interesting that Isaac is established enough in the land of Canaan to feel that he can send his son away with the confidence that there's something for him to come back to. When Abraham, when when Abraham's servant went to look for a bride for Isaac, he said, no, don't, for goodness sake, whatever you do, do not get my son Isaac to come back, to go back to the land I've come from. That's a backward step. But now <clears throat> it seems there's enough of a kind of home base and society there that Isaac and his people have created to feel that there is something for Jacob to come back to and that he would probably, he had the confidence then to send him away in faith that he would return. And so Jacob heads off. But it's interesting because Esau picks up on this. Chapter, uh, verse 6, it says, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and gone to Paddan Aram. So he sees this relationship and it's like he's a bit of an outsider on family relationships and he doesn't really quite get how it works. <clears throat> so he thinks, oh, I've probably upset mum and dad. <laughs> kind of realising a bit late. I've probably upset mum and dad by marrying the Canaanite girls, two of. Um, so maybe I should get <clears throat> a girl from nearer to the family line. Good morning, Adrian. Yes, I have my family Christmas jumper on. Good morning, Pat and Mike and Chris and Ruth. And uh, so Esau kind of slightly late, late, belatedly jumps on the bandwagon and thinks I'll marry a bit closer to home, I'll marry someone a bit more <coughs> kinsman-y type. And so he marries one of Ishmael's um, daughters, Mahalath, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. Um, so verse, sorry, let's read it. So verse eight, so when Esau saw that Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. And it's, it's like he's trying to kind of get favour back because he knows he's kind of made some wrong moves and he's found himself on the wrong side of his father's blessing 
And now he's thinking, surely I can recover something if I stick around, do the right thing, marry a good girl now, you know, and try and redeem my situation. Maybe there will be more blessing to come. Good morning, Sarah. There'll be more blessing to come from my father to me um, <clears throat> after all. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran and he stayed at a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and the east and the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. This is incredible. So Jacob, <clears throat> who we've had a little bit of difficulty really liking, he was a bit of a kind of slightly, um, I don't know, scheming, deceitful kind of guy. And deprived his brother of his birthright by scheming and it's just not attractive is it anyway this guy who we've come to reluctantly recognize actually God's promise was on him and there was something that God <clears throat> foreknew even while Jacob was in the womb and decided that Jacob was going to be the one who was going to carry the line through to the fulfillment of all of God's promises to Abraham, which was to send the Messiah. And Jacob, God had decided, was going to be in that bloodline. And so now this Jacob, who still we're a bit <coughs> sketchy about because he, we kind of feel awkward about him somewhat, I do. He's having this encounter with God where God literally opens heaven up in front of him. He sees it in a dream but it's nonetheless very real, very personal. And it's one of those dreams that will have marked him for the rest of his life. Because he doesn't just see things in a vision, but he encounters God himself in this, in this dream. It's as he sees this staircase up to heaven with angels going backwards and forwards. It's kind of like an interaction between heaven and earth. And it's like this Oh, this commerce, this to and fro of angels going up and down this staircase from the presence of God and engaging with human beings on the earth. And Jacob is brought into this incredible moment. Now, we would call that a an open heaven kind of moment where he sees heaven open. And all of it means that all the potential and all the power and all the glory and loveliness of heaven is available on the earth. Um, at that time and this is incredible but then God the Lord Yahweh <clears throat> stood above it and then spoke and what he says is literally verbatim the promises that he has already made to Abraham 
personally and he's already made to Isaac personally. So now we're in no doubt whatsoever that Jacob, for all his scheming, is the legitimate heir of this promise. And God is saying, this is for you. This is your offspring. This is your land, even the land you're lying on. I'm going to give it to you, which is so incredible. And then God promises, verse 15, he says, behold, I am with you. Such a cool promise. It's exactly the same promise he made to Abraham. He said, I am. This is the covenantal, the exist God, the existing one, the one who is and was and evermore shall be. You know that one? And he's saying, I am with you. He's using that covenantal name. He says, behold, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go. So even though you're going into a land you're not sure about, you don't know these people, they might be strange, they might have strange customs, etc. But I'm sending you there and I'm going to come with you. But actually, I'm going to bring you back here and I'm going to give this whole territory, this whole region to you, even where you've been lying this night. And he says, I'm not going to leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Well, that's a kind of way of saying that because this promise goes right the way forward into his unborn generations, many, many thousands of years to come. It's the same as God saying, I'm never going to leave you because he's not going to see those unborn generations whilst he's alive. So he's he's still they're going to be coming long after he's gone. And so it's like God saying, I'm going to be with you every single day of your life, my son. And I'm going to give you these things that I've promised. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid. This is a genuine encounter with God. The fact that he it says he was afraid. We know this is for real. This is authentic. This isn't just a kind of little fluffy um, daydream. This is a real face-to-face encounter with God and he says how awesome is this place this is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven which we call um so the house of God he called it Bethel and uh so he was afraid he said how awesome is this place and he realizes he is kind of being jolted from a self-centered slightly I think a slightly self-centered self-obsessed lifestyle to where he's being confronted with the seriousness of his destiny and the seriousness of God's call on his life and there are some incredible testimonies like Saint Augustine and people like that who were absorbed in their own lives doing their own thing caught up with their own kind of importance and everything else and then God shows up transforms absolutely everything and their life changes as a result of that encounter so early in the morning Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it and he named the he called the name of that place Bethel which means house of God this moment I give it a mention in my book. To me, this is hugely significant. This is the first time we've come across the anointing in the Old Testament. 
And so Abraham, um, sorry, Jacob has been lying with his head on this stone, which can't have been very comfortable. But then he hauls it up in, makes it into a kind of pillar and just says, I've got to mark this place somehow. And so he anoints this stone with oil, this big rock. He pours olive oil over it. Now, why did he do that? What was all that about? And as we go through, if you read my book, you'll see that I'm kind of trying to make a point that actually there is a rock that follows the Israelites around in the wilderness and water comes from this rock. And then Paul tells us that this rock is Christ. Well, he's the anointed one. And so is this right back in the story of Jacob, a little glimpse of us seeing the anointed rock? Jesus Christ himself, who is the one who opens heaven, who brings the goodies of heaven and the wealth and abundance of heaven and brings it down to earth and distributes it among the human race and engages with us personally, direct personal contact with God himself. Not, I, I don't know whether people still have visions of Yahweh himself at the top of ladders in the same way that Jacob did. But each one of us, when we receive Jesus into our hearts, become filled with the Holy Spirit and welcome his Holy Spirit in. And we are filled with his Holy Spirit. And the, there comes then this commerce between earth and heaven as we commune with God. And so we have our own little Bethel going on in our own home and our own lives. You can buy my book on Amazon. It's called The Christing Wills. Um, Amazon will sell it to you. Um, or I can send you a copy. If you message me with your address, I'll, I'll send you a copy and we, we can sort that out. Um, so, so he picks up this stone. Big. It's not just like a little pebble. This is a like a pillar and he hoiks it up into the air, um, you know, pulls it up onto its end. Or anoints it with oil. Now, why anoint it? What does that mean? How did he even get that idea? Where did that come from? I don't know. But somehow in his heart, he wants to make this significant. And so something precious, oil is precious in the Middle East. It's light, it's heat, it's calories. It's an anointing for your skin. You put it in your hair and all kinds of stuff. And this is something precious. But he doesn't really realise, I'm sure, the significance of what he's doing and how the anointing will play a part in the lives of literally zillions of the people of God in their lives on the earth as in on into the future. But this is so cool. He says, and I love what he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And so there's something about the house of God where people gather to worship and engage with God. It's like the gateway to heaven. Love that. That is an awesome verse. And so he does the anointing, calls the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. So there was a city somewhere nearby, but it was called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, 
shall be God's house, and all of that you give me, <clears throat> I will give a full tenth to you. And so Jacob is kind of engaging with God, and it's really the first evidence we see of Jacob's personal connection with God. But now he's kind of becoming experimental and he's saying, God, I really am going to a strange land I don't know anything about, people I don't know. But if you will look after me, if you'll provide me with food and clothes and just keep me alive so that I can return in one piece to my father's house, then I will follow you and you will be my God and I'll give you a full tenth of everything I ever get. It's all yours. <laughs> and, and this is um, a wonderful story of beginnings, isn't it? It's a story of our first experience of this rock, our first experience of the anointing, our first experience of an open heaven with angels going to and fro. It's our first experience of the tithe. No, it's not. Not the first experience of the tithe. Abraham gave to Melchizedek, didn't he? A tenth of all he had, but it's is a really, really interesting thing that nobody tells Jacob, oh God likes a tithe. God nobody told him that, as far as we know. He that's just something that comes out of his own heart to do. And I love that. And this is such a glorious story. And wow. I think the point for us, for you and me today, is regardless of whether we've seen heaven opened. Because I'm I'm envious of Jacob when I see that. I think, what do I have to do to have my moment where I see heaven opened like that? And yet, day by day by day, as I've walked with God, I've experienced his kindness. I've experienced his love breaking into my life. And I've experienced that ministry of heaven coming into my heart. And so, although I haven't had that kind of real Bethel experience that Jacob had and I would love to have that where I literally see heaven open in front of me. God has revealed himself to me as I've gone on this journey like Jacob went on into unknown territory, into a life that I've never lived before and experiences I've never had before, some big challenges difficult challenges and real joyful rewarding blessings he's been with me he sustained me he's kept me and wow god all i can say is this god is faithful he is awesome he's worthy of our utmost devotion he's worthy of our lives laid down for him may god bless you have a stunning day and may you have heaven open all over your life and all the goodies of heaven cascading down into your home, into your family, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit.
And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him, but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. Or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.